Say no more. Duke Ellington. Yep. That's all I needed. They just uh, repressed this. So it's 35 bucks. Brand new. Analog. All analog. Cut from analog. Fucking great. Originals are like a buck fifty. Easy. And they're just fucking repressing this stuff. This stuff right here. This guy. This guy right here. Soulville. Ben Webster. This, I mean, like, I'm in heaven. Like, this stuff is so refreshing. Do you feel like you've grown up, man? In a way, yes. I feel like <laughs> it is It is at this moment in my life that I'm kind of ready for jazz. Because I definitely fully was not ready for jazz in my 18 to 43-year-old body. And you start to listen to bands differently when you've listened to bands just play music together. That's the most interesting part. Now I kind of get it. I might not even love it. It might not even be for me still at the end of the day, but at least like the appreciation is so much further. So my next comment was going to be, yeah, then it gets really weird when you start talking about free jazz and Onet Coleman. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I, I can a hundred percent tell you I'm not there yet. You want to just pivot and talk about the cups and be like, well, Hey man, dance on vacation. So we decided to talk about all the jazz, all the jazz. <laughs> You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 266, Soundgarden, hosted by Matt Nas of The Roach Coach. I feel like Nine Inch Nails is one of the most depressing bands ever. <laughs> so, like, And Joseph Wren. You think you like Soundgarden, but you don't know how good this band really is. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if the day you tried to live is the day you broke the rusty cage... Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. Matt Nas is here, and we are talking about that grunge rock beautiful sound that is Soundgarden. Am I still allowed to call it grunge rock? Is it even grunge? Is it a product of its time? Matt Nas, help me out here. That is is the question, because re-listening to this discography was like, oh, we... It seemed like grunge was they had no idea what else to call it. But I'm just like, this to me is rock and roll music, baby. (laughs) Old school. It has that 70s vibe. And I love that 70s vibe because remember when rock bands just got together and they were kind of jamming, but they knew what was going on. Yes, this this discography is filled with songs in other artists' hands would be middling or meandering, but with the right technique and the right vocalist, uh, they get into a groove that carries a lot of songs that, again, in other people's hands, I've heard time and time again fail. And this is a band. Um, I'm really, really stoked that you asked me to be part of this. And to talk about Soundgarden because I feel so I have to ask you, I'm so I'm gonna be full transparency up front. I'm 44. So my teenage years were peak grunge. Like Nirvana was my band. I was not the Pearl Jam guy. I was not the Soundgarden guy. I was a Nirvana guy. But as time has gone on, still love Nirvana. Soundgarden's discography has grown of more import to me 
in the I would listen to Soundgarden over Nirvana in my later years. Whereas at the time, I don't think I really appreciated this band. I'm going to be honest. So I don't know where you landed, Joe. I am 36. Okay. I was not peak grunge, peak Soundgarden, but my friends and I were 100% grunge posers. We wanted grunge to be our sound. I was in high school with people who could go on and on about the Smashing Pumpkins and how it was the most important band of the 90s. And then my friends and I are trying to stand there and hang like, yeah, dude, but Soundgarden is so much more impacting. And then I became a guitar player. Mm -hmm. So for me, Soundgarden was one of the bands that came up because you're learning all the staples when it's just you and a guitar. I'm practicing the Metallica songs that I love and I want to play. Then I start playing the Nirvana songs. Then I stretch a little bit more. And how do you play that Alice in Chains riff? Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun, Spoon Man. That's just fucking fun. So for me, it was reactive. Alternative rock, especially 90s alternative rock, is the sound of St. Louis most of the time. To this day, you're going to hear your Soundgarden staples every single day on your insert name of rock station or insert name of alternative rock station that doesn't really play alternative rock anymore. Correct. I'm pointing at you. My point being, Soundgarden was a band that I got the reaction to the hype. I didn't live the Mm -hmm. hype. But every time I listened to them, they were always the standout rock guys. Alice in Chains, solid fucking band. Never thought they were a grunge band for one minute, but everybody kept telling me, all your your grunge staples, Joe. Those it's Nirvana, it's Alice in Chains, it's all those Seattle bands, you know, like Mud Honey and Soundgarden. And I don't hear grunge when I'm listening to this. But this week, I had to rethink that at times. What does that word grunge mean? That's the thing, is that they put this label on it for basically slightly out of tune guitars with heavy distortion. It's supposed to be punk rock with heavy metal distortion, right? Yeah. If that. That's pretty much it. Like when I when I listen to like, it's funny. This whole thing was kind of like memory lane today because it was like, I remember listening to some of these albums, Alice in Chains being one of those bands, obviously Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And then, you know, being a fellow Rust Belter, uh, we too have modern rock radio or <laughs> rock, you know, rock radio that truly I could turn on right now. And I'm like, I bet they're playing sex type thing right now. And I, I, I have a good chance that it's being played. All right, Matt, let's play alternative rock roulette. What is on the point right now? Let me check. Ooh. So that is your modern rock radio, right? Yes, it is. Oh, that's good. That's good. Let me see. We lost our big, our big one was uh, 89X, um, but let's see what the riff is playing. Riff rocks. So uh, that's at least what they tell me. Take a shot, Matt. I'll give you a hint. It's the Wayback Weekend. Wayback Weekend for Modern Rock Radio. I'm going to say that they're playing Wood by Alice in Chains. You should have gone with Lithium by Nirvana. Oh, <laughs> They were calling your name. Hey, that's a good song by Ra. You want to talk about Ra later on? I haven't listened to their whole discography. We need to talk about that (laughs) band sometime. There's so many bands. You mentioned Nirvana. I've been trying to talk Dan into a Nirvana episode for years, and he just won't do it. I feel like now's the time. 
Oh, that would be, I would, yeah, there, well, that is a short ass discography, but it's so fucking good. And you know what? That's, well, we're going to get into it with Soundgarden. It all ran yeah. together a little bit, but mm-hmm. not in a bad way, in a 60s, 70s way where the band knows what's going on. They just pace themselves. It's not about rushing ahead and tempo high. It's play the groove, play the melody. Chris is going to sing for a while and it's going to be this amazing melodic onslaught. The thing also that strikes me, and it is very characteristic of the time and earlier time, like this late 80s into 90s, is something that you don't see today. Like today, today's artists... Everybody's in a hurry. Everybody has to come out the gates with the number ones, with the best shit that's ever been. Nobody can fucking develop so it's like, so what happens? Everybody goes with tried and true, the stuff that's always worked. It's harder, uh, except in niches. This is the thing. You know, I take a look. I, you know, Turnstile is really having a fucking moment right now. I'm swept up in it as well. But that's an 11-year-old band that's core fan base is now saying, fuck you guys. <laughs> but like they had 11 years to cook and get to this point. And now it's like, oh, an 11 year overnight success. It's like, let them eat. But I also understand because you hate losing the band you like. But that thing of like letting a band develop, especially over a couple of records that are kind of close, but not there yet is it's lost. But like these, the two albums that be, that come before Bad Motor Finger are so important to that band that they aren't who they are without them. And I can't imagine them as a band dropping Bad Motor Finger first, because then it's like, how the fuck did you get there? Where this is a very clear, this is how they got there. This coming from the guy that has an AFI poster on his wall, and it's the right one. <laughs> Hey, man, uh, we know how they got there. <laughs> well, before Matt Nas writes the book on musical development, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And leave us those five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews on Discography Discussion on all Discuss Metal podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a thumbs up. Give us a review. Give us that five-star. Send us an email at Show at gmail.com. We want to hear from you guys. And I'll be talking about more ways you can listen to the podcast later on. Matt Nas, what's going on on the Roach Coach? What's going on, all things Gabber Media? Well, you can check out the Roach Coach podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon at roachcoach.com. That is Coach with a K. We just celebrated our 300th episode. We did. <laughs> we did it, baby. We did it. We did chocolate and lemonade by Sugar Ray. This fucking guy. (laughs) Dude, Mark McGrath, what a dreamboat. What can you do? We talk about it. uh, Lauren, Jenny, and myself, we just just dive into it, man. And then uh, 
We do an album review every other week, and then we just touch base with our fans and kind of connect with the news of the day and all the news as fit to print. Uh, You can also check out GabberMedia.com for all of our podcasts, including Transmissions from the Dark Side. We are about to, well, it's a show where we watch anthology horror, and we're about to embark on Freddy's Nightmares. So get ready for that. It's a very tongue-in-cheek look and anthology horror. I don't know who I want to get to the end of their show first. You or Melissa from Good Evening Kitties. I want to know who's going to talk about the Saturday morning cartoon sensation Tales from the Crypt Keeper first. Ooh. I'm rooting for both of you. Mostly her, it, but it, I'm rooting for both of you here. Is she, <laughs> is she still in uh, Tales from the Crypt? She's on season six right now and she's pretty Good far Lord. into it. Good Lord. Good Good Anya. We finished uh, Tales from the Dark Side and we finished Monsters. And I thought we were done, but then, you know, Freddy's back, baby. What can you do? So, GabberMedia.com. So, Matt Nas, tell me and all the listeners about Soundgarden. All right. So, here's the thing I did not know about Soundgarden until 1992. So, I'm not going to, or 1991, somewhere around there. So, I'm not going to bullshit you. But I cannot believe that they were formed in 1984. Okay. So that blows my mind. Same. Uh, 1984 leads to everything we got later on. How? But cool. So it's Chris Cornell. It's Kim Thiel. I don't know if that's how that's pronounced. Thiel? I think it's Thiel. Let's go Thiel and let's just be bold in our incorrectness. (laughs) Um, They they truly were the core of the band. They made it throughout uh, the whole run of the band. And um, then they kind of had people come in a little bit in and out. Uh, their discography itself and what we will talk about today is 1988's Ultra Mega OK, 1989's Louder Than Love, 1991's Bad Motor Finger, 1994's Super Unknown, 1996's Down on the Upside, and then the comeback record or the reuniting record, reunion record is the words I'm actually looking for, King Animal of 2012. I can't wait to get to that one because it was the surprise for me. And unfortunately, there isn't going to be another one. Oh, yeah, that's I think the hardest thing about this discography is the loss of Chris Cornell, because hardest thing about music, man. Because in listening to this whole discography, I'm like, is he top five vocalist, male rock vocalist of all time? A case can be fucking made. I can make a case right now that Corey Taylor is the best male lead vocalist of all time because I've seen him do everything from Slipknot's heaviest, growliest song to the purest male baritone tenor vocal. I couldn't say he's the best when I put him up against Chris Cornell because Chris has a way of adapting his voice to the music, but he turns himself into an instrument in a way that Mm -hmm. I've never heard someone else do. You never hear on a Soundgarden record, Chris Cornell mixed up front, like he's the focus of the band. He's always right in the center and everything else is happening around him. And I think they did the same thing with Audio Slave. Oh yeah. Those mixes were just a little bit hotter. But you don't ever hear Chris Cornell, and that's the only thing you hear. No. Yeah. That is very, very true. The thing that really strikes me about Cornell as a vocalist is 
that he can do different things, but at the same time, you're always like, that's fucking Chris Cornell. Like, there is not another person who does that or sounds like that. Because, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, do you give it to Plant just because he came first? You Absolutely know, because, not. And I'm like, fucking Cornell does it better. He does it, <laughs> he does it fucking better. He just does. I, I, like, okay, it's an opinion. So whatever. But like my book, Cornell does it better. His Bond theme, he did a fucking Bond theme. And it's like strong. The Scream on Cochise. Come on. That's an old timer. This whole catalog is just him being like, we'll get to it. We, we, when we get into the albums, the styles and the genres and the way that he kind of made his voice his own, because like there are stylistic points where it's like, he's clearly aping. And then there is a clear kind of, nope, this is Chris Cornell from here on out. He's not aping fucking anybody. He's, he's very clearly doing his own thing. Well, it is time to talk about the first album, Ultra Mega OK, from 1988. But I do want to make special mention of the EP that came out before that, Screaming Life. If you want to hear Soundgarden raw to tape, like you would have heard them in a club before this album came out, that is absolutely worth a listen. You need to check that one out. It's punk rock awesome. And then we get into Ultra Mega OK. This doesn't sound like 1988 to me. No, no. When I think of like 1988, I think of like, I'm coming off the heels hot of like, don't need nothing but a good time. Fucking pour some sugar on me. I'm very much in that cherry pie warrant phase. Like I'm kind of at peak power ballad, peak, like we're heading into peak hair metal. Like we're, that is the thing GNRs, like Appetite from Destruction is about to happen. Like that's where we are in the in the modern rock zeitgeist. This stuff. Okay, so the thing is, I have not heard the original mix. The only one that I can Neither find, I. the only one that I can find is Sub Pop put out a remaster in like 2012 or something like that. Flower is the first track, and when it comes on, I'm like, it's all here. It's all there. Like, okay, th- it is very rare that in the first track of the first album that you're like it's and knowing the rest of the catalog that it's like so clear that they knew where they were going it's like this is i wrote grunge like this fucking grunge right this is fucking (laughs) grunge like yep this is the sound of, of which i would associate fully with grunge we talked to metal jesus on our alice in chains episode He gave us pretty good insight into the Seattle music scene at the time. I could see Soundgarden being that chill band who gave everyone a breath of fresh air when you just saw Mudhoney and Nirvana blow up the stage and make all their ridiculous shrieking sounds. But the music has that old school vibe of these are musicians who are playing together. And yeah, it's energetic, but... They're not trying to reinvent the technical wheel. It's entertaining as hell. It has this droning quality that I can only compare to Faith No More at the time, minus the fake rapping that that band would become famous for when they theoretically created new metal. We're not going to argue about that tonight, are we, Matt? Hey, man, I'm not the guy to argue with that about. (laughs) 
but it just has that droning vibe. And I love listening to it because I can see the 90s trends coming. I wish yeah. I had real world experience in that time frame, in that area, in that music, but I just have hindsight and everybody being laid back, playing their groovy drop D room filled drum sounds and a vocalist who wants to belt at the microphone. You tweak this sound just a little bit. You're not that far away from Tool. Literally where they are in this record is five degrees away from everything. You go this way and they are like a, a straight ahead metal band. You go this way, they're Tool. You go this way, they're who they are. Like it's they sonically are so fucking tight and Cornell's yes. and Cornell's vocals lend them it lend themselves so well to so many genres of music in that hard rock vein. Because I like I, I put down the notes. I was like, okay, this is a psych song. This is a uh, someone just listened to Paranoid. Like, you know, like this is an Ozzy <laughs> song. I was like, okay, this, you know, beyond the wheel. Uh, I was like, this has weird new metal vibes. I was like, they're a papa, you know, like this is chunky riffs and, you know, stutter stops and all that type, like things that that genre is known for. I'm like, there's so many seeds into it. And, but then it's like circle of power is just a fucking punk song. So yeah, I, I, it's like, it's all here. And what I know, which is very little about the Seattle scene about that time, because again, I was a child in 1988 when this comes <laughs> out, but it was like, it's almost like how you hear about standups sitting in the back of the club. Like these guys weren't making it in terms of money. So they all liked each other and they all shared crib notes like freaking mood for trouble has Allison chains lifts in it. Like it has that sonic frequency of Allison chains in it as well. So there's like, it is very representative of the environment that that's in, which can only happen when you have like this pod kind of all intertwining and intersecting and having fun and just being like, I don't know what the fuck, what are you doing? Oh <laughs> shit, I gotta raise my game up. This is what we're doing. Oh shit, that's what you're doing? We're doing this now. Like it just feels like it's kind of one upping itself. Like there's a challenge to the band and what's happening and kind of like, but not like in a shitty way, just like a fun, yeah, let's see where this goes. It kind of feels like some songs are like, riffing and just kind of like a one-off like let's go let's see what happens it sounds like a club band with a budget and i mean that in the nicest way i, I can know what you're saying it. though because when i we when we reach on this album smokestack lightning which is like just a, a blues dirge that's where i was like that was probably my biggest no thanks on the album they pull it off but i'm like that is <laughs> that house band on I've been that guy, though. You get to song four and you pull some random blues thing out of your pocket. Everybody in the band likes it except for Dan because he can't scream over it. Oh, man. Now we're in the shrine of the silver monkey. I hear all of these things that remind me of creating music for the first time. But Chris Cornell is singing it, so they get away with it. He out... Uh, uh, I don't want to say outshines yet. He, he He's on another level, period. Like... Full stop. He's it. It's not like he's in another band, but his instrument is the brightest instrument in the band. I don't. I, I. It's like some of the vocal runs that he's doing, and the highs and the power of his voice. I just sat there like dumbstruck. 
I'm like, I can't do that. There aren't a lot of people who can make a career out of doing that and doing it well and doing it for a whole career. Crazy. It's fucking crazy. Would you say he's louder than love? Ooh. Transitions, 1989. This album felt... I actually liked Ultra Mega OK better than I liked Louder Than Love. Absolutely. In a way, I know Terry Date produced it, but I feel like Terry Date tried to rein them in a little bit into more sounds of the moment, and it wasn't a good take. There's strong songs on it. His voice is super powerful on this record, but it goes in the direction of that modern uh, or of the time metal sound of like an 89 metal vocalist sound he is like very very close to and it's like not what he's trying to do not where he needs to be what do you think what do you got the band does feel held back to me i hear more of the second album syndrome Mm. you've had your entire life as an individual and as a band to write your first record. So it's going to have all of your best songs. Yep. Now let's see if you can do it again. I could see 1989 knowing the tension in popular music and what was changing and what was about to happen. I could see producers still being stuck in that 80s vibe. Because you're right. I hear the engineer has a preset that he understands and knows how to manipulate. Yep. So the band walks in. And we've got a budget now because this is our second album. And we just don't deviate from that because back in the 80s, at least the impression I've gotten, the band didn't have very much say. So you're dealing with a producer who has an opinion, who has an engineer that works for him, who's not mixing the great Soundgarden. Right. He's just mixing a band called Soundgarden. Exactly. You've released your first album. And now you're coming to me to make your second one happen because that's the real challenge, right? So now you have 1989. It sounds like music is changing. I don't think the songs are as good as the previous album as a whole. They aren't. They they aren't. They just aren't, which is fine. But again, this album has to happen. But like listening to it, I, I was like, okay, the high voice is fucking strong. Like transitions are happening. They're screwing a lot with the tempo of songs. The, um, the monster riffs. The riffs are the riff game is super strong in here, but I don't know. I felt like some of the songs were a little lost, a little meandering, and I feel like in terms of cohesive albums, unfortunately, Louder Than Love to me was the weakest link in 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 this discography. I can hear the producer sometimes, especially in the opening song, if you want to call it that. Just pointing at the band and saying, do something different. Like, this is a meandering part. There's a bendy guitar. It's just making a noise. It's a drone. Shred, man. Just just throw something in there. Because he's trying to fill a gap yeah. with a band that doesn't need the gap filled. The band right. paces themselves. They pace the audience. They pace the record. We know, with hindsight, that they do that very well, pretty much throughout the discography, but I can hear the engineer not knowing that and trying to make this into something that it's not. And it doesn't have the hits. And for me, no. that's kind of, that's where the conversation starts for me is the hits because that's the first thing I heard. 
This one feels like a painful second step, but it's going to get better, Matt. It's going to get really fucking good. Well, we know that it's going to get better because we all we all know what the fucking next album is. But before we get there, my final thoughts on this on this particular record is number one, echoing what you said. I feel like you got to do this record. And it kind of goes back to my mis- initial statement of if they don't do this, we don't get bad motor finger. We don't get them getting kind of pissed off. We Absolutely. Don't get them, we don't get them being like make her. This has got to be our make or break. This is the one that we've got to fucking focus on. We, you know, like they burned everything and like they were left there having to make that next record. So I will leave Louder Than Love alone, but I will say of all the Soundgarden t-shirts I see, the cover from Louder Than Love tends to show up a lot. <laughs> well, it's a cool picture, right? It's a really cool picture. It's a great picture. That's the shirt I want to wear to the show because I'm challenging the lead singer, right? Are you as cool as this guy? He doesn't even know who it is unless he's seen the album cover and he listens to Soundgarden. But do you really want to be upstaged by a t-shirt in the front row? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, right? We've put this off for too long, Matt. 1991 bad motor finger. If there <sighs> is a point to jump on the wagon and hold on for dear life with this band, dude, bad motor finger is where you need to jump in. Stars align. Like, this is so. I, I like. It gives me chills. It literally gives me chills to hear the Rusty Cage riff, to hear the opening moments of Rusty Cage, because it is just like lithium in the day to me was such a seismic shift of literally everything else that was happening. This song coming out the gate, track one, it's like they they came, they were born again hard. <laughs> you know, like, they're on another fucking level with this with this one. Rusty Cage kicks in. This and I think this also starts where the singles are like god tier. Yes. And then the rest of the album that's not a single is really good. But like the singles are like world beaters. Just nuts. Just like holy god. Yeah, play that one again. Play play outshined again (laughs) if you're gonna start your album hauling ass it's about the tempo it's about the baseline driving forward with a motorhead level of impact just so they can play the different chord that relieves the tension the band starts with tension but it sounds so beautiful We mentioned old school rock. It sounds like an old school rock band that just gets together, plays the song, and they know what's happening. They know when to change to the chorus when everybody looks at each other, but it's Soundgarden. So you're going to get a different band going forward. It doesn't sound like a developing act who survived the 80s of heavy metal. It sounds like a band that just happens to be part of this movement called Grunge in 1991. For my money, this is the band to listen to. I think Nirvana's great. I think Nirvana created their own thing, but I think Soundgarden is a band that you're getting pushed to be a better musician if you're listening to this. What Nirvana did was master 
a rock pop song. They had what Butch Vig too. Yeah, what that helped. Sound, <laughs> but what Soundgarden was doing was different and uniquely them, and not trying to be the Beatles songbook for the next generation. Like that was Allison Chains. I'm not a fan. You know that. I'm not a Allison Chains fan. Get I will, out of my house, Matt. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I understand. I'll I'll get my things. Also, why am I not wearing pants? This is weird. Um, he just got me that comfortable. Um, but like when when I hear this, it's it's own fucking thing. Like I'm not into Pearl Jam at this time. I respect Ten as an album, but like not necessarily for me. Love the poppiness of Nirvana. So the songwriting of that immediately in the visceralness of Teen Spirit for somebody who didn't really grow up with anything really heavy was like, oh yeah, I'm totally into this. But like I feel like the power of Soundgarden was just being a millimeter under the surface uh, in that time. Like just, just a little bit out of the spotlight, enough for them to be doing their own fucking thing. Soundgarden is the band who's not afraid to play outside in the burning heat with the sun blazing. All those bands you mentioned, whether they meant to or not, they were being presented very dark, very closed in. Pearl Jam comes to mind. Yeah, from a production standpoint, it's very similar to Soundgarden, but you got to turn the reverb up to get that Pearl Jam sound. Soundgarden mm-hmm. does not have that problem. No. If I have to point to one band and say that's who's going to headline the show at my outdoor festival, I think Soundgarden is the band I pick until Teen Spirit comes out. That's not my point. Just listening to the band, they sound like they belong. Yeah. They sound like they should be leading the charge. And yes, they get credit, but they don't get enough. And this is the weird part about that time is that the Nirvana wave brought everybody along. Absolutely. And and then the Pearl Jam wave behind the Nirvana wave brought more (laughs) people along. and, And Soundgarden was part of that mix. Because, yeah, I didn't hear Rusty Cage before I heard Teen Spirit. I had... I heard Teen Spirit, and then I heard Rusty Cage, and then I heard Outshined, and then I heard Jesus Christ Pose. And <laughs> when did you hear Rooster, Matt? It's about the same time. <laughs> the same. But like, I I don't know, a one-two punch of Rusty Cage and Outshined, you could literally not put anything else on the album, and you would have sold millions of units. Those two songs, that one-two punch, it, it, it's better ideas than most bands have in their whole careers. Like. It's those songs are monumental. They are they are powerhouses. And I'm trying. I, you know, I'm hyperbolic, but like I don't necessarily think I'm wrong. I I, I think Rusty Cage is unfuckwithable, and the same without Shine. And I love Jesus Christ Pose. Um, it's not as strong as those two. If you're gonna blow me away, do it on the first two songs of the album. Then I'm gonna commit to the record. And yes, Rusty Cage. That's how you start an album. In 1991, that's also how you start a show, and that's how you extend a career. Dan mentioned how much he loves the Johnny Cash version of Rusty Cage, Mm -hmm. and those American records have a different purpose, because that was Rick Rubin doing that, I'm going to reinvent the artist thing, but it's a really solid performance of a Soundgarden blow-me-away opener from 1991. If you're going to set me up for that, and then give me that immediate release without Shined, 
it's still dark. It's mm-hmm. dark in its own way. But how many people experienced the Chris Cornell high, nobody can hit that note, shined for the first time? And you're in, no matter how slow the band is playing right now, because what you don't know is they've set you up for the next one. They're in control of your listening right now. This record was huge. I love every second of it. Yeah, Louder Than Love was a little bit of a drudge for me, but I don't think anything about this discography is terrible. No, 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 no. And Bad Motorfinger is the peak in 1991 when it should be the peak. Right. If you're a super fan of this record, you go looking for the other albums. Yeah. And that person's going to find Ultra Mega okay, and everything is going to be okay. Yeah, with, you know, what a time to create the world beater. Because, like, 91 into 92, Nirvana, the wave hits. Everybody's looking for that Seattle song sound. And you're there with fucking bad motor finger. You're in good shape. <laughs> you're in really good shape. I could, I, this album you could talk about for a month and probably not have enough to say. Check out on YouTube. The band does a track by track breakdown on this album. And um, it's it's really interesting to hear them say, like, we did drop D a lot, but, like, this is the first album they did drop B. Um, the song um, <laughs> Slaves and Bulldozers was one of the band's friend's kids. It was kind of just uniquely playing with, um, in you know, with other kids. And it was like, what game are you playing? We're playing Slaves and Bulldozers. <laughs> and that's where the out, like... It's really cool to kind of hear like how these songs kind of came about. And hear Chris Cornell right now. I'm going to need a pen. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like it just sunk right in. So, yeah. Fucking great. Great. Are you ready? I'm ready. 1994. Super unknown. They were ready for this album, I think. Like this album is great. (laughs) Like this album is Soundgarden. The the thing about this album that kind of hits me again is again single are are fucking S tier and the rest of the album is like in a solid A B tier but like the singles are on another they're on another plane there's a lot of great stuff going on in the album but like Black Hole Sun is a masterclass in songwriting and it's one of the most disturbing singles I've ever heard it's one of the songs that piqued my interest i wanted to learn how do they make that sound with the guitar and at some point my brain broke and i said this song is disturbing i feel like i'm on a planet whose sun is rapidly falling from the sky think majora's mask only not the moon the sun and i feel hopeless when i'm listening to it and i don't think that's what the song is about but it snuck up on me you follow that with Spoon Man. Don't worry, Matt. I'm not going to skip Black Hole Sun on you. No, don't worry about it. You are starting an engine that is the Soundgarden single and not letting up. And you saved it for the middle of the album this time. Spoon Man is such a... I think it was the first single from this album, which is very weird. It's a very weird song. <laughs> it rock, Like, it rocks. But thematically and lyrically, it is cuckoo. This song is really odd, but but it rocks. It totally rocks. It does exactly what you need it to do. Spoon Man's going to be the song you pick to introduce the public to this record. Because if there's one moment in the band's discography, in the man's career that defines Chris Cornell, the lead vocalist, 
listen to Spoonman, the whole song. Because when you think he's done going high, he hits that note during the solo. <laughs> that is the note I remember everybody talking about, whether it was on insert name of television program that talks about rock music or people listening to their favorite bands and talking about their favorite albums. It always came back to how is Chris Cornell making that sound? Yeah. How is he able to hold that sound? Because the difference between what he's doing and what a Robert Plant does, mm -hmm. this sounds like Chris is just doing it. And falsetto is a myth that we have all been lied to about. Yeah. Power. Effortless. Effortless power. He could have fronted any band from the 80s any that was obsessed with band. sounding like Rob Halford. Yep. In fact, can I go back in time and get Chris Cornell to sing Painkiller? I want to see what that sounds like, asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> this album is stacked. Super Unknown is fucking stacked. My Wave... Fell on Black Days is probably my, probably my favorite Soundgarden song. Probably. Really? I just... You love it more than Spoonman. Yeah. I, I don't love Spoonman. Oh, Matt. <laughs> I know. It, We're going to have a problem like, here in a moment. It sounds, it sounds like it's your favorite. I've gone through this discography this week, listening to these albums, knowing I get to sit down and talk to Matt Nas, looking for that hidden gem of a song. And I can't help myself. I think Spoonman is the song because it has the tempo, the pace, the attitude, the rock. And when I get to play this song with my friends, I have to do that vocal part with a slide on a guitar. So I have fond memories of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm never going to be able to take that away from you. Uh, but can't like, take yeah. away my Spoonman, Matt. That's okay. Fell on Black Days. I, I just, I feel that song. Like I feel some songs are just like emotional gut punches. Fell on Black Days is one of those. The Day I Tried to Live is one of those. This album rips. There's so many good fucking tracks on it. And they're, dude, they're monsters. They are monster songwriters. At The Day I Tried to Live sounds like Soundgarden is doing the 90s depressing rock song better than anything. Yeah. Yep. Nope. That they, the Smashing they, Pumpkins put out. They have. I mean, I'm not a Pumpkins fan per se. Like, I, I like their songs fine, but like, but they get is the it, most is credit even, for being the depressing band. Uh, I don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> not, not your you. scene, Matt. It wasn't industrial enough. Well, I feel like Nine Inch Nails is one of the most depressing bands ever. <laughs> so like, but like, I also feel like the content and. Yeah, unfortunately, like the retrospective content of these songs is way now incredible. It's way heavier. All these, I'm going to say what the kids say. This shit hits different now that he's gone. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to look at it. Like I believe our, in our next album has a song with the word noose in it. So it hits different knowing that Chris is gone and the way that he left us. So, and I think now is a, as good of a time as any to just ask the question. Everybody talks about writing on the wall when they talk about these artists. I think the 90s trope of writing depressing songs may have overshadowed someone close to the band or close to Chris seeing the songs for what they were because that was the thing in the 90s. I don't remember when it went away, but I remember when every song was about somebody dying, somebody killing, somebody getting hurt, 
and how nobody cares about it. That was the 90s trope at a time. A major, uh, that was a major 90s trope. Another major 90s trope is not wanting success, running away from, running away from the spotlight, um, being sick in some way, shape or form, and uh, nobody really understanding what's going on. And we, at the time, have a tendency to romanticize things and be like, this is the artistry and this is them, this is people expressing pain in a way that's accessible. And the question becomes how true or false are these things? Um, When you have the truth of Chris Cornell taking his life, then it's easy for people to go back and say, it was there the whole time. It was there the whole, everybody knew. I don't know. I don't know because I don't know him. I don't. I was not in a band with him. I wasn't there in the studio with him. I don't know him. So the truth is, it just I can say it hits different because then you are listening. Your ears are perked to be like, oh, my God, there's a song on here called Su- with suicide in the title. He was telling us the whole time. Was he? I don't fucking know. I try to listen to the music and I try to listen to the music for what it is. And I try to keep it there. I find Chris to be one of the harder ones to just leave it there. But I still enjoy it. I still love listening to the band. As a personality, Chris Cornell always seemed to be one of the more interesting figures in rock. Absolutely. The fact the fact how he just kind of shape-shifted and found different ways to make, you know, like, like you said, he joined, you know, he joined Rage Against the Machine and made him a different band. Like... How's that happen? He had, a, <laughs> he had a successful solo career, which he should have because his fucking voice is from another planet. Like the music is is testament to how great a musician and artist he was. The way he left us leaves us re-examining everything, probably to a point of nausea that isn't really ours to figure out anymore. And that and that's the sad truth. I think it's time for the next album. Let's do it. 1996, Down on the Upside. I thought I wasn't going to like this one. This is weird, but like, I never really gave this record a chance. And then I listened to it and I was like, I know this song. I know this song. I know this song. How many fucking songs for this record do I know? (laughs) I, I truly, like, I was like, I know at least five songs from this album. And then you discover that this album is just as complete and is awesome and as much of a single onslaught as the previous albums are. Pretty Noose, Rhinosaur, um, Blow Up the Outside World. Jesus. Burden in my hand. Burden in my hand. That was the most Midwest. <laughs> How Midwest am I? Burden in my hand. Again, like their singles, another level, another level, another level. Do the vocals make the music? They take it to another. They do take it to another level. And uh, a less competent vocalist would not be able to carry these songs. These songs need Chris Cornell. Without him, I think they flounder. I mean, it, it is that point I I kind of made at the beginning. In less capable hands, these songs would meander. They would be lost. Like you can't get into a groove when there's no groove to get into. Like Cornell sets a tone vocally. And the band falls in kind. And that is the power of this band. So, like, they have to write. He does that. You have to play better. He hits that note. You fucking better be on your game. If somebody can't do it, then you don't play as hard. 
he made everybody raise their game. I mean, that's that's what I hear in the music. This might be the most Seattle sounding album to me. The whole discography has that vibe, that way of playing as a band, that guitar style, that drum style, everything. It's Seattle. That's where they're from. But if I point to one thing that always makes me think grunge, I think of those barred major chromatic usage of power chords. Yep. And Soundgarden does it. They do it a lot. But they found their way into this alternative rock blues area for a while, or blues sounding area, that to me sounds more like a classic band. This album, it's 1996. We were moving away a little bit from the Nirvana wave. I like the yeah, way you said that earlier. Yep. You're, you're definitely starting to enter. New metal is starting to become a thing. Modern rock radio is also starting to realize like, okay, we need to find, you're having a big pop, pop punk resurgence. Absolutely. Like that, that's starting to really solidify itself. Like Dookie's been out for a while now. Fucking now, Dookie, man. But now you still you've one got, of the best punk records ever. But now you've got like, and I mean, we're talking, I think like Dookie's like 93, 94. So I, at 96, you've basically got like the full wave. You're in third wave ska. <laughs> you've got real big fish going. Like, you've got a lot of weird sounds going on. And here's, you know, here's Soundgarden kind of being like, you want to hear some roots rock? You want to hear some of the most depressing sounds you've ever heard on an album? We're going to give it to you. We're going to give you that sound. We're going to give you that vibe. And it's going to remind you of everything we've done for the past 10 years. I'm like you. I don't reach for this album. But then when I was listening to it, all the standouts, the opening track, Blow Up the Outside World, that always brings me back to Soundgarden. I think for me, I've spent so much time with the singles these albums run together in a good way yeah. because you could just start listening to the band hit shuffle and you're not going to be upset. No, correct. I would agree. Testament to how good this band is. They give you the consistent vibe. The songs have the same quality throughout the discography. The standouts are always going to be on the I mean, top that's of the, the mountain. Thing. It's like when you hit, when you hit a single, it's like hitting your favorite bite in a, in a pot of soup. It's like, Oh, there it is. But the soup uh, is still delicious when you get to the, the bottom soup, of the bowl, right? The entire soup is delicious, but you just got... Do you know how many hours I spent working on that broth mat? <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. There's pork bones in that. There's veal bone. There's everything in there to make that soup as good for you as I possibly could. It is. It was And noted. you put hot sauce in it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said I had your broth first. Plain, no seed. <laughs> I liked it. And I told you I like a little bit more heat, but this is perfect the way it is. <laughs> Remind me never to give you egg noodles again. That's fine. <laughs> I'll be okay. This was it for this band for the longest time. And I never expected a new Soundgarden album. I did not either. It's so much so, I really didn't even know this album existed. I'm not going to lie to you. 2012, a new Soundgarden record was literally the last thing that I would have been looking for. And it's the last thing you expected to sound so classic rock old school. King Animal. Soundgarden with a modern budget, a modern producer, a modern engineer. You have everything Chris Cornell has done for the past 
16 years, casting a bit of a shadow on anything that this band would put out. Is it going to sound like that Audio Slave album? And then you just get this big fucking rock record that I'm like you. I found out about it a little bit later than I would have liked to have found out about it. And I don't know that there's a big single that stands out to me like Spoon Man, like Blow Up the Outside World. But I've never been so happy for a 90s rock band to come back, give us a brand new record that sounds exactly the same. It sounds like they didn't miss a step. It sounds like they went into it with the right idea. And what we got was a big, beautiful, melodic onslaught of all things Soundgarden. I completely agree. I would say that this is now, obviously, in retrospect, we know it's their last album, will always be their last album. This is them riding off into the sunset. You know, it's like, we know that, you know, like, we actually know how it ends. But with this album, it's like, hey, man, the heroes played another day. You know, like, everything worked out. Everything's fine. But, like, (laughs) they got to put closure on the band. Because I never would have thought they would have broken up after the last album. You know, I would not have thought Down on the Upside would have been their last album. But it was for so long. You really felt like the band had a four-album solid discography. Because there was that fifth album you didn't know about if you were me at the time. Mm -hmm. And here we are. It's 2012. And they're trying something new. Some of these songs, I feel like Audio Slave could have played them better. And I'm hearing the vibe that Chris Cornell's voice brings to the music. I do think once he starts doing what he does, everybody around him, at least at this point in his career, they tweak what they're doing a little bit to fit him. Maynard has a similar approach with his vocal style. And even though I'm not the biggest fan... Everybody seems to pace themselves a little bit different when yeah. when the lead vocalist is somebody that fucking good. That tracks. And I just think it's a great Soundgarden album. It's not my favorite. It doesn't have the same singles or the same high midpoints, but the record is fine. This is the last album. It's okay. I'm not off-put by it. I think I've just spent so much time with that limited discography that this one doesn't click for me. I don't feel like this is Soundgarden, that band that I love from the 90s. I feel like it's Chris Cornell, and he just has some of his old friends show up to hang. And that's cool, too. It's always going to be a Soundgarden album. It just doesn't click for me the same way. Yeah. I, I and it's, it's hard to disagree with that. I found myself not as engaged with this record. I did not find it bad in any way shape or form but i wasn't like hooked in i wasn't locked in and ready to fucking go like again the opening of rusty cage gets me amped i'm ready to do it i'm ready to hear this album let's fucking go this one was like yep it's soundgarden record solid sturdy reliable but i don't always need this i'm i'm okay sometimes without this I mean, you know, what can you say? What can you say? It's a it's a reunion record, you know. They gave you exactly what you wanted. You wanted a new album. Here's Soundgarden new album. got together and made a new album. No muss, no fuss. Final thoughts on Soundgarden, Matt Nas. Man, what a discography! What a what a collection of work. I I I still feel it's kind of underappreciated. I I think Soundgarden's underappreciated. I feel like they have 
their fans kind of know, you know, like, and I almost feel like they wear it as a point of pride. Like, I'm a fucking Soundgarden fan. Okay. Like, I know what's up. You think you like Soundgarden, but you don't know how good this band really is. Yeah. I, I, I really grew to respect the band more and I love the band more listening to the discography. You see the growth, you see the development, but you also really kind of start to understand like, yeah, they, they really did creatively hit a point of not diminishing returns because that's too cruel. More of a, yep, this is where we should end it because I think I think we've said what we've needed to say. And to be able to do that is super fucking powerful. To have that knowledge to be like, let's not try to juice this for 17 more albums. <laughs> Pearl Jam. <laughs> Pearl Jam. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I really, really, really down on the upside really surprised me um listening to super unknown again was a fucking delight bad motor finger it's just great they, they have a great discography it is worth revisiting their influence is far and wide and cornell's top five rock vocalist of all time easy easy what do you think joe soundgarden is always brought up in the conversation when you talk about grunge when you talk about 90s hard rock when you talk about great lead vocalists when you talk about some of the best songs that have ever been written they're one of the bands that comes up i thought i knew everything about this band or everything that i enjoyed about this band i feel like this week i know how good this band really is and for the best music they ever created I'm glad I know that the albums are just as solid as my favorite songs. And for the rest of my listening life, as long as I have the ability to listen to music, I'm going to be listening to Soundgarden and I'm not going to be skipping tracks because I want to hear all of that good stuff. Not just Chris Cornell's voice. We keep talking about it, but the band is unified. And I want everyone to be this good. And I've mentioned Wolfgang Van Halen's album many times over the past few months, Mammoth WVH. It's been so long since I've heard a solid hard rock record that is so unified in its presentation. It doesn't sound like the 80s where they're trying to sneak a single in and then a ballad and the rest of it is just filler. Soundgarden start to finish. In whatever dose you decide to take, you're gonna enjoy the whole experience but it's not going to be a progressive rock or a progressive metal record where you have to buy into whatever the vibe is. Soundgarden just gives you that vibe. And when it's done, you're satisfied. So listen to Soundgarden, listen to all of it and enjoy the memories because one of my favorite bands of all time to listen to, they're going to be your favorite band as well. Matt Nas, what's your album of the week? Uh, I feel like I mentioned him earlier, but boy, I am I am a new convert into the turnstile world. Um, Welcome, yeah, dude. Um, yeah, glow. What is it? I can, I'm so new that I can't even remember that it's glow on. <laughs> there you go, and that new. But like, I don't know, man. Here's here's what happened. They had the they had their um, record release party film, and I watched first song and i saw a hardcore pit i saw kids on stage jumping into the crowd and it just made me feel so nostalgic and it just made me feel so good to watch people celebrate i'm like i you know i watched it with uh, my co-host lauren 
you know, and I watch it. I'm like, music's the fucking best. It's the <laughs> fucking best. And I just, I, I just fell in love with the record. I fell in love with their ethos. I, I like what they're doing. Um, I'm an old, so you really can't impact me if you're like, you're fucking dumb. Uh, there's so many better bands. It doesn't matter, guys, at this point. I'm 44. It's, I have a four-year-old daughter. Like <laughs> Being cool, I, I have to give up, guys. But I, I think they're great. I really, I was so happy to hear guitars. It's ridiculous. It was ridiculous how happy I was to hear guitars. And an actual band that can play what they wrote. <laughs> like, cool. It's like those instruments don't play themselves sometimes. Yeah, exactly. For me... Vane.fm, the world is going to ruin you. Matt, I know you know Vane. Did you know Vane put out a new album this month? No. My friend, may I direct you to the glorious world of Bandcamp? How do I say this nicely? It is exactly what you fucking want from a new Vane record. It is the heaviest. It is the tension-driving, glorious, industrial. Just listen to it, Matt. Spend your $9 and you're welcome. I'll check it out. Hey, Matt, we did it. We did it, buddy. We got to talk about Soundgarden, and it was amazing. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out with me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's RoachCoach.com. Roach with a K, right? That's uh, Coach with a K. Gotta love it. And on that note, this has been episode 266 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash Discuss Metal. We have some sweet perks. Join us on our Discord server at discord.discussmetal.com. All those links are going to be in the show notes. Matt Nas and the Roach Coach can be found at gabbermedia.com. Check out all their podcasts. They are the best. Keep it rolling, baby. Gotta go! Gotta go! Fuck yeah, Matt. That was fun. Thanks for hanging, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.